0: Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number 17, and we're continuing our look at the Legion of Superheroes, and we're in early 1964. Next up is Adventure Comics number 317, The Menace of Dream Girl Part 1. Now I'm gonna record the first part and then I'm gonna go read the second part, and the reason I'm doing that is this first part is nine pages, one of which is one of those full page interior covers. But there is just a ton that happens here, and I mean, I know I say that a lot, but I was just floored by the number of things that happened. Now, granted, some of it's a little slideshowy of you know one scene, you know gets a panel, or a couple of scenes get a panel, and that sort of thing. But there are also a couple of major things that happen just in the eight pages of story we get here, and it just blows my mind a little how much they can cram into so little without it feeling rushed. I mean, it definitely feels dense. There's, like I said, a lot going on here. But in part one here, we open with an establishing shot of the Legion Clubhouse, again, the upside down rocket. And Saturn Girl, who presumably is the leader at this point, is calling for Legionnaires who are able to leave their current missions to come back to Earth because they've got a regularly scheduled meeting and they don't have a quorum. So of course, my first question is, well, how many do you need for a quorum? I mean we never get the answer. Well, I'm not going to say we never get to the answer to that. I don't know what the answer to that is, but they apparently don't have enough. We get a quick panel of Lightning, Lass, and Brainiac 5 off on some alien world, and Brainiac has calculated exactly where Lightning Lad should shoot her lightning bolts to carve a statue of a national hero of the people of this planet for them. And she just shoots it, bam, it comes out. It's like, okay. It's funny because that's almost something I would have expected like Karate Kid, who isn't a member yet, but his power to to kind of be like, of, you know, know the weak spots and and how it would come out. And granted, not the computer mind, probably not to the level of this instant statue on a rock face, but, you know, hey, whatever. They're going to head back. We then cut to Starboy and Matter Eater Lad, who are investigating a, or exploring a world that's just been wiped out by, like, an atomic war or something like that. And they're in decontamination suits the whole nine yards with their flight belts on the outside of that, which is just kind of funny. And, of course, they're heading back. So, again, first page, we get the typical little bit of business of, you know, what's the Legion up to before things start happening? And we then have what is what I find to be the most interesting little piece of business here. On, on the top of page three, we've got Superboy and mon flying forward through the time stream. And they are trying to go after the time trapper that Cosmic Boy and some boy had tried to follow, but they got stopped 30 days in the future by some barrier in time. Now, they're wearing helmets. at first, I'm like, "Why are they wearing them?" But they need that for radio communication so they can communicate, which doesn't seem to have ever been a problem in the time stream before, but, you know whatever. They hit this barrier of time 30 days in the future and it's dubbed the Iron Curtain of Time. The Time Trapper somehow created that. Now, here we are in February 1964, and they are establishing the Time Trapper in the Iron Curtain of Time, and in this part of the story, at least, he's completely off-panel. We've never seen him to date, that I recall. And he becomes a pretty big deal for the Legion mythos down the line. And he's had a couple of different... He, she, uh, the Time Trappers had a couple of different origins, backstories, and reveals as to who it turns out to be. Now, granted, you go through enough continuities and that's going to happen, but this is also a character they use to do a little hand-waving when they need to, like when, say, Superboy is no longer ever Superboy, and therefore can't possibly have been here to do this because he never became Superboy until he was a man. Clark never became Superboy, he became Superman in crisis, and that pulls the rug out from under him. We'll get to that when we get to that, and that's, what, 20 years worth of stories down the line. But the Time Trapper, big deal. So I was surprised to be seeing it just kind of tossed out like just a little piece of business, because it grows into a life of its own. But Superboy and Monel returned return to the, the Legion's present time. They've got to hold their regular meetings as commanded by the Legion bylaws and it's kind of, yeah, I'm wondering what the Time Trapper's up to, but we'll deal with that later. I don't know if that's going to be in the second part of the story, or much, much later, because it's not like he's going to be dealt with and over and done with. Like I said, he's a big deal. The part that floored me next, because there's a lot that just blows my mind, they're at the meeting, and the meeting always starts with the reading of the Legion's Constitution. I'm like, wow, that seems like an exciting way to start a meeting. And they're all sitting around the table as a machine is reading off Clause 6, subclause 3, requires that every legionnaire use language learning machines to learn any new planetary language. Subclause 4 states dot dot dot, and I'm like, geez, I would go nuts if I had to listen to that sort of a thing at every regularly scheduled meeting. But then they have a call for new applicants, we get one guy who has a secret formula to make feathers as heavy as lead, and it's like, well, one, that's not a power, two, Starboy can make things heavy, be gone. So he gets dismissed, because we, we've always got to have the, the one applicant just to show that we're not having just the applicant that's relevant to the story. We've got to have somebody else. Now, I don't know if this Ran Antar ever shows up again or not, but if he does, I hope he's got something better than, you know, feathers as heavy as lead, because that just doesn't make any sense. But the next applicant is Dream Girl of the Scientific World, Naltor, and her superpower is Dreaming. And making the guys fall madly in love with her, it looks like. Because Starboy and Mon-El, instantly it's like, oh wow, she's a knockout. Next panel, we've got Cosmic Boy, Superboy, Brainiac 5, Bouncing Boy, Sunboil getting into the act of, hey, you know, what can we do for you sort of a thing. This, of course, immediately kind of ticks off the female members, uh, specifically Saturn Girl. It's like, hey, let's, let's get back to order, let's continue this. And Saturn Girl tries to just dismiss... Dream Girl, because, I mean, dreaming's not a superpower. We're going to have to reject you. She's like, no, no, I can see the future in my dreams. And, of course, all the guys are like, oh, she's got to demonstrate this. I mean, you can't just throw her out. we got to give her a chance. So they do. And Dream Girl lies down on a uh, couch instantly falls asleep. And I'm like, that's not a half-bad power. Just right there. She then wakes up and says, oh, yeah, there are going to be two things that happen in just a few minutes from now at about the same time. One of them is going to be these eggs that have been uncovered by a storm are going to hatch into these monsters and go attack people. And this other thing is there's this tank of rocket fuel over at the Metropolis spaceport. It's going to explode. So Starboy heads off to the eggs. Superboy heads off to the spaceport. Now, we follow Starboy first. We get him kind of saying just how beautiful she is. I hope she makes it into the Legion, that sort of a thing. Which is funny because. I mean, you could have had any member of the Legion, male member of the Legion at this point, and they would have had probably the same line of dialogue. What's interesting and what makes it funny, though, is Starboy and Dreamgirl are the one who become a couple later, so if you had had mon or Brainiac-5 or Sunboy or any of the other guys here, maybe that's who she would have fallen for. I don't know. It's just kind of funny. But we also then get a panel that is a recap slash flashback of his origin and his powers of raised in the stars, near the radiation, it'll give him the ability to induce supermass or weight on any object. It's interesting kind of the way they're phrasing it there. So he gets to where these eggs are just then hatching. Sure enough, these flying monster type things come out of them. He uses his powers to make them super heavy by inducing mass in them, which I don't know that they really use that mass induction sort of a thing later. I think they go for more of a gravity thing, but I'm I'm curious how that plays out over time. But he makes them heavy enough they can't fly, and says the effect will pass away in a couple hours, but by then the science police will have gotten them caged or whatever. We then cut over to Superboy, who is lobbing the tank into the air as it explodes, not hurting anything or whatever. And both these guys are pretty impressed, because she said things were going to happen. They happen. We then cut back to the Legion, The vote's been taken. We've got Starboy and Matarita Lad talking to Dream Girl. We've got Lightning Last, Saturn Girl, and Triplicate Girl off on the other side. And in between is effectively the monitor board, but it's got everybody's, not everybody, it's only got 15 faces, and I think there are a few more members of the Legion at this point. But with their vote, yes and no. And it goes entirely across gender lines. All the guys vote yes, all the girls vote no. And I don't know, seems more than a little sexist or whatever. I've got to say, if this were happening today, we would have had one or two vote the other way, and that could have been used as the reveal of their kind of orientation. But Saturn Girl's like, well, she's voted in, nothing we can do about it, got to obey the Constitution, she's a full-fledged member now. And they are really hammering home Legion Constitution in this part of the story. Now, Dream Girl is getting barraged by all the guys of, oh let me show you our secret monitoring device, let me show you the great arsenal of weapons we've got. Let me show you this this defense plan we've got. And she's like, oh that's all very interesting. But I really want to study the Legion Constitution. Which again, beating the drum on that. So she's going back to that that machine that was playing it back at the meeting and listening to all of that. And they're like, oh wow, she's so conscientious. The next day, Saturn Girl in a new time bubble and Monel off on his own. Are trying to break through this time barrier of the time trappers again, with the theory being that the time bubble that some Boy and Cosmic Boy used maybe it just had a flaw or was defective or something like that. They go fly forward and 30 days in the future bump up against this wall. Now, what's a little interesting here is the chair in this time bubble looks a little funny. It's definitely a time bubble for one, but normally, and I don't know if they always do it this way or not, when they're flying forward in time they always seemed and maybe it's my imagination but I always thought they were going left to right and here when Saturn Girl and Mon-El are flying into the future they're going right to left so kind of opposite the direction of your reading and stuff which again feels like you'd be going into the past or whatever but again this is 30 days out and this is the day after Superboy and Mon-El tried it so it's, it's like a moving 30 days and it's like yep can't penetrate that Iron Curtain of Time Dream girl, you've got precognition. What happens beyond it? Say, oh no, I can only dream stuff in the next couple of days. And stop pestering me about it. And at this point, she starts getting a little high and mighty and starts treating everybody not so great, because, well, she's a Legionnaire now, is the theory. Now, we then have Dreamgirl and Lightning Lass getting assigned to go check out an experimental generator just to make sure everything's safe and stuff. And of course... Dream Girl, coming from the scientific world of Naltor, uses her superior Naltorian science to check out the device. And she's deigned to have Lightning Lass come along. Not that she needs her, but, you know, if you want to do something helpful, you just just go observe it close up, and a little lightning's gonna, not going to hurt you. And sure enough, the generator blows a fuse, strikes Lightning Lass with its electrical explosion, which seems to short-circuit her powers. Can't project a lightning bolt. And he's like, well, them's the brakes. At least that's Dreamgirl's attitude. They get back to the Legion. Dreamgirl's first thing is, well, since she's no longer got her powers, she can't be a Legionnaire. She's got to be expelled. And they're like, oh, we can't do that? And it's like, oh, well, it's in the Constitution. No one can be a member without a power. Lightning Glass has to resign. Now, this ticks off Triplicate Girl, who basically accuses Dreamgirl of tampering with the generator, causing it to explode and destroying Lightning Lass's power. And Dream's like, well... Can you prove it? Triple K Girl is called, no, but, you know, you resent all us girl legionnaires, you'd like to get rid of us. Dream Girl then pulls out subclause, I think 11 of the Constitution, making false charges against any fellow legionnaire shall be caused for expulsion from the Legion, and demands Triple K Girl get court-martialed. And Saturn Girl tries to talk her out of it, it's like, it's the Constitution. Star Boy tries to talk her out of it, and it's like, back off. Clause 4, subclause 2, forbids subverting any Legionnaire doing his or her duty. And Starboy's like, it's like she's trying to destroy the Legion. All of that in nine pages, eight if you don't count that opening interior cover. We get multiple aspects of the Legion constitution. We get a tryout for the new member. We get Dream Girl being in for a bit, an adventure she's going on, the whole bit with the Time Trapper, the Iron Curtain of Time. I mean, there is a lot going on in these eight pages. This is something that just right here probably would have been enough. And I know I usually say, oh, it's a six-issue arc in the modern day. It probably is, and we're still only halfway through the story. So it it is amazing how much they just pack into this. Now, granted, there is a bit of a slideshow mentality. That last scene inside with lightning Last getting forced to resign, triplicate girl going after, we do have multiple panels in that scene and such. But that's something in today would have been at least two, three pages in and of itself. So it's a much more condensed storytelling style. There are a lot of words on the page, but there's also a ton of story beats going on. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to go read the second part of this, and I'll come back with that. Okay, picking up with The Menace of Dreamgirl Part 2, The Doom of the Legion. This is nine pages. The first, like, two-thirds of the page is an interior cover that harkens back to the actual cover of this issue with some of the Legionnaires having turned into kids. It takes us a while to get to that part of the story, though. This part picks up literally right on the heels of Part 1 where Dreamgirl was walking off from Starboy. Mad Reader Lad has come out saying, Oh, she's turned into a nightmare. we got to do something about her. She's going to wreck the Legion. Starboy's like, No, let me just go talk to her. So he goes, rushes off. At this point, Matter Lad thinks he's in love with her, which maybe he is, maybe he isn't at this point. At some point later, absolutely. But Matter Lad's going to get Brainiac 5 to help, because of course he's the most brilliant of us all. And we then get into the clubhouse, those two are talking, and he's like, yeah, I do see a pattern here where she's like deliberately trying to get certain members expelled. And it's like, maybe she's being used as a pawn from somebody. Let's keep an eye on her and, and see what we see. Cut to another Legion meeting, which presumably is going to start with the Legion Constitution yet again, although we go over, skip over that, thank God. And Dreamgirl starts to sit down at Chameleon Boy's chair, but doesn't. She sits in her own chair, which is just a few seats over, next to Starboy. But Matter Eater Lad takes note of this, and he's like, why would she try to sit in Chameleon Boy's place? And he's puzzled, and frankly, so am I, but it's all setting up, is she Chameleon Boy in disguise? The planet Vondra is doing a planetary census, they want some assistance from the Legion, although I don't know why, and Dream Girl gets assigned that by Saturn Girl, because that'll keep her away from the others. And Dream Girl says, oh, I've I've had a premonition, let me sleep on it. Well, actually, you know, dream on it, I, I still think, you know, let me sleep on it sounds so much funnier, though. Not that they use that, they should have. She falls into an instant sleep, comes out of it, oh, there's an Aurora, it's a fearful menace, which... Triple K girls, they don't have auroras on that world. Brainiac Five's like, well, according to my analysis, if they do have one, it could cause unusual effects on humans. Saturn Girl's like, fine, take a few other Legionnaires. She's like, I'll take Bouncing Boy and some others. Meanwhile, Saturn Girl, Star Boy, and some others are going to go back to that planet that was ravaged by the atomic war. Dream Girl ends up picking Ultra Boy, Lightning Lad, and Shrinking Violet, as well as Bouncing Boy. They head over to Vondra, they get to the valley, they see the Aurora, and oh, it can't harm us, says Lightning Lad, like just seconds before he, Ultra Boy, Shrinking Violet, and Bouncing Boy, de-age into, I don't know, two-year-olds or something. And Dream Girl's like, oh, it worked, just like I knew it would, but she's unaffected because she took an antidote beforehand. I don't know what antidote that would be, but okay. And Superboy shows up, I'm not entirely sure why, but he does. And basically, Lightning Lad starts tormenting Shrinking Violet with his lightning. Bouncing Boy and Ultra Boy start playing ball with Bouncing Boy as the ball, but Lightning Lad is is scaring Shrinking Violet so much she shrinks, but she can't remember how to grow. Now, I find this whole thing a little interesting because Lightning Lad got his powers later in life through an accident. Bouncing Boy got his powers later in life through, I'm going to say stupidity, of drinking something he shouldn't have been drinking. Ultra Boy got his powers later in life, so if they truly de-aged, like having regressed back in time somehow, they shouldn't have their powers. So I'm a little unclear exactly what happened here, but Shrinking Violet, the one who actually is having problems using her powers, these are standard things For people of Ismic, her race and such, so she's young enough she doesn't know how to do it, I guess. Whole thing's kind of weird. Superboy uses his microscopic vision to detect tiny drops of a youth elixir in the aurora, which is why everybody got so young. And of course, Dreamgirl whips out the Legion Constitution, saying if a Legion becomes physically or mentally unfit to perform their duties, they must remain under observation in a scientific hospital for a year. I'm like, okay scientific observation if they're physically incapable or whatever, getting them looked at, checked out mentally incapable makes sense. For a year? That's insane. But they're heading back to Earth Superboy is basically playing babysitter oh, while well, Dreamgirl's flying them back and she's basically calling over to Saturn Girl and saying you all better head back too. And we get a quick shot of her team on that war ravaged planet taking, uh, trying to take a photo of this bizarre beast that mutated from the animals of the world because of the radiation. And it looks like an elephant with like a short giraffe head on it and wings. So, I don't know. Definitely looks weird. They end up heading back and when they get to the spaceport, Matter Eater Lad has to sign in the space log. The previous person to sign in was Dream Girl. He looks at her signature and it's like she started to write Chameleon Boy. And he's like, that's kind of weird, but okay. He's now definitely thinking she's Chameleon Boy in disguise, although not sure why. They get back to the clubhouse, he calls it Chameleon Boy, she turns, huh? And, oh, that's enough for him to accuse her of being Chameleon Boy, using his power of disguise. He's trying to break up the Legion, but why? And he's rather insistent on it, but Starboy's like, she can't be Chameleon Boy, he's in far space on a mission, let's call him and check. Chameleon Boy's gotten back into range, or shortly thereafter. Saying he's back on his way to Earth, so that proves she's not Chameleon Boy. Could be another Durlin, but still. And because of the previously mentioned clause of false accusations, she insists Matter Eater Lad get expelled from the Legion. And the punishment is three months' suspension, although that wasn't mentioned earlier. And Triplicate Girl's like, Starboy, you keep defending her, but what do you think now? He's like, ah, oh, she can't be evil. Let me go talk to her. Goes, talks to her, she's not gloating, she is just broken up over this, and this is where we get the reveal that her powers are actually able to see a few weeks ahead, and she doesn't just dream the future, she, like, sees it. Now, I'm not entirely sure what the difference is, but presumably it's a much more immersive experience. And she had seen seven Legionnaires, Shrinking Violet, Matter Eater Lad, Bouncing Boy, Lightning Lad, Ultra Boy, Triplicate Girl, and Lightning Lad, being killed in a rocket explosion. So she is there trying to save them. Because she knew if she just went and warned them of that, that wouldn't stop them. They'd be Legionnaires doing their Legion thing no matter the cost. And that's why she had to become a member and trick them from the inside. And she knew the de-aging stuff for Alter Boy and the others was temporary. But Starboy's listening to all this, and he's like, That rocket you saw? That's part of one of our defense plans. Come with me. And he takes her out to this rocket in an asteroid belt, which is actually something that Matter Eater Lab was mentioning to her back on page six of part one of this rocket hidden in the asteroids for this defense plan. And Starboy explains that they have it manned with lifeless android doubles of some of the Legionnaires, and it's a trick they use to confuse space criminals when they're rounding them up. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but okay. Dreamgirl realizes that what she saw was the lifeless androids getting destroyed. Sure enough, right as they get within range of that ship, a meteor hits it, explodes the fuel tank, and those lifeless androids get destroyed. If only she'd known. It would have saved, I don't know, at least, I don't know, 17 of the 18 pages we've got here. Although it was a good story. So we get back. Bouncing Boy and the others have grown back to their normal age. Triple triplicate girl and eater Lad are reinstated. But Lightning Lass is like, I've still lost my powers of suit lightning, so I'm still expelled. And Dreamworld's like, uh, no, your power wasn't needed because it's the same as your brother's. So I used my Naltorian science to change your powers. Go try it on the clubhouse. And basically, Lightning Lass is able to make the thing super lightweight and lift the entire clubhouse. Which, it's interesting, it's got a shadow under it it looks like, but there are times where it looks like the clubhouse is like a ground floor entry to an underground cavern. Anyways, Dreamgirl explains you can make things super light. You should be known as Light Lass now versus Lightning Lass. But Dream girl has got to resign because she entered through trickery. You guys have to go catch the Time Trapper. And Starboy's like, will you ever come back? She's like, ah, if I can perfect my precognition, yeah, maybe I'll apply for membership again. Maybe. And then there's a little caption at the bottom saying that a duel between Legionnaires and the Time Trapper is coming. Now, again, a little over eight pages, we get characters getting de-aged, all sorts of things are happening here. The machination between, you know, is she Chameleon Boy, Dream Girl Chameleon Boy, or not, they pack a lot into these things. And, just again, from a a high-level point of view, we've got, in the second part, Dream Girl resigning from the Legion, and Lightning Lass becoming Light Lass. So add to that the first mention of the Time Trapper, Dream Girl joining the Legion, this Iron Curtain of Time. You could argue if you want to toss in the de-aging and some of these other things or not, but there's still at least three or four major mile marker events for the Legion in this issue, as well as a quick recap of a few people's powers and backstory and such. So a lot of words on the page, a lot of story beats on this. Part of what I find fascinating about this era of comic book storytelling is we get a two-part story in this issue that is far more than we get in a couple of issues of a modern comic and stuff. The whole bit of Is Dream Girl, Chameleon Boy in Disguise, that would have been a subplot for a couple of issues these days. The What's Going On With Lightning Lass's Powers and stuff would have been more than just a last-page reveal. And I'm not saying it's better storytelling back then or now. There's pros and cons to each. But I do think there's an aspect of these stories back then kind of glossing over some stuff and just going a mile a minute, which is maybe a little too fast. And today's stories being a little too slow and only getting kind of two major story arcs a year, and therefore it feels like not a whole lot happens. Whereas, again, you've got, because they're going a mile a minute back in the 60s with these stories, you go over... A 12 month period, and things are radically different than they were at the beginning of that, that year long period. So I found this to be very interesting. Again, a ton of stuff is happening. They do a lot of beating of the drum on the, the Legion Constitution and stuff. And I don't recall if they've clearly mentioned the Constitution before. I know they've got rules and bylaws and such, but to have it quoted a number of times and be such a big deal here I thought was kind of interesting and I don't think it's too much longer before they actually use a letter page and give us what the Legion Constitution is. And when we get to that, I'll I'll do that as a segment. So once again, that's The Menace of Dreamgirl Part 2, The Doom of the Legion, from Adventure Comics 317. I've got one more thing about Adventure Comics 317 I want to cover, and it'll be probably pretty brief. It's the Statement of Ownership, Management, and Circulation. Now, this is on a page between the two parts of the story. It's the bottom, a little under half of the page. The top half is a super turtle little kind of comedic story. And if you're wondering why I'm covering the statement of ownership, welcome to the podcast. You've probably joined during the pandemic or shortly thereafter. If you understand why I'm talking about it, you probably remember the episodes I've done on sales figures. Now, those sales figures I would talk about would be how things sold through the distributors and stuff. But periodically, I would mention these statements of ownership, because this was where, because these things were getting sent out through the Postal Service, they periodically, once a year, had to go report certain things, put one of these statements of ownership management and circulation in it. And in later years, most cases, they would have to include circulation information. Now, I had put this in my notes to cover because I was hoping there would actually be circulation information for Adventure Comics here for 1963, which is what this is covering. Granted, the issue came out in 64, but again, took a while to print. Unfortunately, at this point, the only real information it has is the date of filing of October 1st, 1963, the publication, Adventure Comics, the frequency, monthly, uh, where their office is, where the headquarters is, the name of the publisher, and some stuff like that. But there isn't actually any sales information here, which is what I was hoping to find, and no, we will find later. This is a good way to get a sense of what the print runs were versus how much was paid circulation, how much of that was subscriptions, and things like that. When we get to some versions of the Statement of Ownership and other titles later that actually have some of that information, I'll go into a little more detail. I do want to go ahead and give a caveat at this point, I'll try to remember to do it later, that this is self-reported information. Now, it's an official document, so they ought to do it best effort and such. There have been reports that some publishers would just kind of make some stuff up just to have something to put in there and do it because it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't think there was any penalty if they were wrong. I don't think anyone was checking if they were right. I do know that one or two people have gone on record saying, oh yeah, we just made it up for other publishers. Whether that was a big deal or not, don't know. I'm going to go on the assumption this is accurate information when we do get it later. But I just wanted to toss that out there to kind of set expectations. Because when you go this far back in comics, in 1964, there was no direct market. That didn't happen until the 70s. There were no distributors selling on a non-returnable basis to giving us those sorts of sales figures. So at this point, the best information we have is what was the print run, how much of that was paid, and how much of it was mail order kind of subscription business straight to the, the publishers and stuff. So like I said, Just want to set the scene for that. We'll cover it in more detail when we actually get some statement of ownerships that have some actual sales information on them. I'm going to try to be keeping an eye out for that moving forward. I don't think I've missed any yet, but if I find out that I have, I may circle back to that just because I do think it's some information of interest in terms of how are these comics doing at this point in time. And it's also, I think, usually very enlightening to see how many they had to print versus how many they actually got paid for just to see how much waste there really was in the system and how going to print to order really allowed a lot less printing costs to go to waste for comics once the direct market came about. So anyways, real quick, that was the Statement of Ownership Management and Circulation from Adventure Comics 317. They really had nothing of, of meat or interest to it, but I just wanted to set the scene for later ones.